Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. I've been trying to find this guy forever. Hey, little guy. How you doing? Oh, sparked me. Hey everybody, welcome to Liquid Church. My name's Nathan, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're watching for any of our five locations, we're excited that you're here. But listen, I, I gotta take care of this because he's so cute, he's gonna be distracting during the whole service. So let me just capture this guy, then we can go on. All right, let me see. Did I get him? Did I get him? Did I get him? Oh, I got him! I got a Pikachu, everybody. I got a Pikachu. Let me tell you, months of training have prepared me for this moment. And uh, it is exciting. Well, listen, we are wrapping up a series called Games People Play. And uh, as you can guess, today's game is Pokemon Go. And, uh, you know, this game is actually uh, having a kind of a big cultural uh, significance right now. It's kind of everywhere. It's been on the news. And maybe you're kind of thinking, what is a Pokemon Go? I have been in, like, Alaska all summer, so I have no idea what's happening. So if that's you, I'll get an update you real quick. Uh, Pokemon Go is actually a big deal. Let me give you a couple statistics. There are more people playing Pokemon Go than the, con- than the populations in the country of Sweden and Portugal combined. There are more users on Pokemon Go than on Instagram and Snapchat combined. There's an article in Forbes magazine that says the cure for obesity of our generation is Pokemon Go. (laughs) I kid you not. It's it's an article. There are 19 countries that have Pokemon Go right now, and that number is kind of on the the rise. So so this isn't just like an American thing or something the kids are doing. This is a global phenomenon. So let me just ask you a couple questions. How many of you have Pokemon Go on your phone? Maybe your kids put it on there, your grandkids put it on there. Okay, there's a few of you. How many of you are playing Pokemon Go actively? Like, this is like your thing. Like, you're out there playing Pokemon Go. How many of you are like, I don't care about this, and I don't understand? Okay. (laughs) This is good. This is good. Thank you for your honesty. We will will educate you as we go forth. Back in the 90s, uh, there was this uh, card game called Pokemon. Maybe some of you remember this. Pokemon actually means pocket monster. And uh, what this was a card game, became a cartoon show, then became a video game. And that entire generation has now grown up and now they own smartphones. And this became a digital app where once you download the digital app, you become what's called a Pokemon trainer. So when you're a Pokemon trainer, you kind of go around and what you try to do is you try to capture the different Pokemon that are around and you use what's called a Pokeball. Now with the Pokeball, you kind of go, you throw it, you, you capture your Pokemon, and then you can train it and prepare it and kind of, you know, do all these other things with it. Now one of the features of this game that's really neat is a feature called augmented reality. So what's neat about this is you can actually see these digital creatures in the real world. So, you, you know, at your workplace or when you're at the park or when you're at school, you can kind of open up your phone. When you, when you see a Pokemon, you actually see it right where you are. In fact, the other day, um, I was um, doing some research and um, playing the game in the office, and I was kind of walking around, and I noticed that uh, my friend Greg was being harassed by a drowsy Pokemon. Now, this is a very wild, very dangerous. He was having a hard time getting work done, and as a good friend, I was like, I, I, I will save you, Greg. And so I went and I captured the Pokemon so that he could get his work done and make our graphics awesome here at Liquid Church. So, you know, that's what I try to do. And, and you know, what we've been trying to do with this series is kind of look at the connection between gaming and God. Where, 
Where is the connection here? And not just with Pokemon Go, with games in general. How does that all connect? And really, when we participate in a good game, when we're playing a game, whether it's Connect Four or Pokemon Go, whatever it may be, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the fact that we're made in the image of a creative God. I love how Drew Dixon puts it. He writes for GameChurch.com. He says this, is that when people come together to play a game, they create order, agree upon an absolute set of rules, and express themselves freely. In many ways, because the Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God. When we participate in games, we play these games, it's because, that we, because we want to imitate a God that we live and who we're kind of made after. And so there is an intrinsic value in playing games. It's a good thing. So bottom line is, when you play a game, whether it's Pokemon Go, it's good. Enjoy it. Have fun. Because it's being part of God's redemptive order in the world that we live in. Now, what I really love about Pokemon Go, too, is it really reminds me about God's heart, which is to capture those that are far away from God and bring them in close, to bring them in a relationship with him. And this would always put Jesus and his uh, critics at odds all the time because he wanted the people that were the religious outsiders, those that were spiritually far from God. In fact, we see an account of this in Luke 15 in the first two verses here where it says this, when the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. So tax collectors and sinners, these are people that are far from God, but they wanted to be close to Jesus. But it says that the Pharisees... And the teachers of the law started to mutter amongst themselves, meaning they were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So rather than join with Jesus and his mission to bring people that are far away from God closer, what they would rather do is judge. What they would rather do is kind of, is kind of create the gap further. But you see, this is something that's close to God's heart. He prioritizes it above all other things, finding people that are far away from him. And bringing them close. And really, we're going to be looking at two ideas today. And the first idea is this, is that lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. At one time, you and I, we were all lost. We were far from God. We had no idea where we stood with God. God wasn't even in our consciousness. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. He wants to bring those people who are far away close. Now, when I use this word lost, maybe some of you are thinking, dude, I am not lost. I I know where I am right now. And and I'm not really talking about spatially or geographically, you know, like when you're driving and you pass the same building four times and you're like, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm going. But I'm really talking about, do you feel close to God? Do you know where you stand with God? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you're like, I don't know if I have that, then most likely you're what I'd call lost. It doesn't mean that you have less value. It actually means you have more value. Because think about it, we only lose things or something is considered lost if it has value to us. If, if we lose our wedding ring, it's because we value that. We tear our house apart trying to find that ring because it's valued to us. And, and we want that and, and we enjoy that. And that's really this idea of, of lost people. He wants lost people who are far from God found. And he will do whatever it takes to make that happen. In fact, when Jesus was first coming on the scene, he was looking for the lost sheep of Israel, the people of his own people that were far from God. And so he was going on like a, like a good Pokemon trainer trying to find the first disciple. So he goes, oh, look, there's a Matthew. I don't, I don't have one of those yet. And he keeps going. He goes, oh, there's, there's a fisherman, James and John. I'm going to get those too. Okay, there's a Judas. Uh, you know, I'll take one of those as well. He's going around trying to capture these, these, kind, of, you know, these kind of crazy uh, people, this, this group of disciples together. So he can go and, and accomplish his mission. Jesus always prioritizes the spiritual outsiders first. He goes after them because that's his heart, and that should be our heart as well. And we see a beautiful picture of this in Luke 15, verses 4 to 7. So I want to invite you, if you have a, uh, a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15, 4 to 7. 
If you are on Pokemon Go right now, why don't you turn it off and go to your Bible app and, and pick up that one here at Luke 15, 47. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get a chance to play it later. But, you know, one of the things I love about this passage is it's really three stories that are all about this one thing, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost sons. And really, this is about God's heart for people that are far away from him and how he desires to bring them close and back into a relationship with him. And as you're kind of turning there and getting that set up, you keep that in mind, that this is God's heartbeat for people that are far from him. So let's walk through this passage together. If you're taking notes, the, the, the passage is printed on there. But starting with verse 4, it says this. And whatever you see in, in bold, if you could just say that with me. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice. There we go, with me. I have found my lost sheep. Next slide. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here's this idea, is that there's a sheep that's lost. The shepherd's got 100 sheep, one of them's gone. And instead of saying, you know what, it's just one sheep, I can, I've got the 99 here, we're okay. He stops, leaves them vulnerable in the open country, and runs after that lost sheep until he can find it, so he can bring it home. That's God's heart for people that are far away from him. He's pursuing them. And he wants us to join him in that pursuit. And when we look at this story, there's three insights or three aspects that are going to help you and I join Jesus on his search for people that are far from God. Because if lost people matter to God and he wants them found, that's a priority that he has for us as well. And the first aspect that we see here is that you and I need to see with spiritual eyes. We need to see with spiritual eyes. Now, in Pokemon Go, there's a really cool uh, feature here called augmented reality. And so literally, uh, you know, through your phone, you can kind of take your phone out and then you can start to see these digital Pokemon that are actually in our world. It kind of takes this enchanted Pokemon world and transposes it on top of our everyday, you know, at work or at school or, you know, doing shopping, whatever it may be. All of a sudden, you know, we're doing our thing and there's a Pokemon right there and we can kind of interact with it. It's kind of a neat thing. You know, I was looking at this in the game and thinking, you know, this is exactly how God has called us to live our lives. See, we live in an, an augmented spiritual reality. Because there's two kind of realities that are always in place. There's like our everyday reality of, you know, uh, you know I got to go home, I got to pay the bills, I got to do the daily grind. But then there's a spiritual reality where God's values, where we need spiritual eyes to see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And the story hints at that when it says this, I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing where? In heaven. See, there's this idea that we need to have our sight set not just on what's happening right in front of us, but there's a spiritual reality that's taking place that we need to be aware of. And these two realities are sometimes uh, kind of fighting for our attention. Will we focus on just kind of what's in front of us? Or will we understand that there's a spiritual reality at work? And when we start to see with spiritual eyes, we start to see people the way God sees people. We start to see situations the way God sees situations. And when we do that, we can have an opportunity to influence those who maybe are really far away from God. Let me just talk to Sandy. Sandy is an air traffic controller at, at a busy city airport. And one of the things that Sandy does is he sees with spiritual eyes. He understands that his conversations with his coworkers, that God is doing something more in there. And there's an opportunity for him, if he leans into it, for him to see with spiritual eyes, to see what God is doing in and amongst them. Let's watch his story together. I have worked as an air traffic controller at one of the world's busiest airports. 
And in the lunchroom one day, uh, there was a group of veteran controllers sitting at another table who were pretty crude. And then one of them said, he grew up in a Christian home where his parents forced him to go to church and he hated it and never wanted to go back. And he mentioned the name of the church. And when he did, it was like a dagger in my heart to think, that's the kind of church I go to. Because of that name being there, it caused me to really uh, feel a lot of pain. But I didn't say anything. I waited until everybody left the room except he and I. And as we were washing our dishes at the sink, I said, Dennis, I didn't know that you went to church. And he turned to me and shook his fist in my face and said, don't you ever talk to me about God, religion, or anything like that. I have to work with you. So I didn't. But I tried to offer him the same dignity and respect that I would offer anybody. I really did a lot of self-questioning, I guess. You know, am I going about this wrong? For what reason would someone respond that way when it was a rather innocent question? As I thought through the process, I went everything from I'm discouraged and, and don't want to offer up those kind of questions. But it also caused me to go back and take a look at you know, why would he respond that way? I did ask some of my brothers to help me pray for this guy. I'm kind of out of options. I don't know what it's gonna take. About eight years later, I was working at a radar scope one day and he walked up and then asked me, what time does church start on Sunday? And I told him and Dennis showed up. He brought his wife. After a few times of attending and going to lunch with my wife and I, he came to me and he said, Sandy, I know the way that I've been living has been wrong and I need to correct that but my wife has never heard about Jesus Christ or any story from the Bible. Would you study with her? And my wife, Cindy, and I sat down and we studied with, with Dennis and Sharon, and she became a Christian after that study, and I was so happy. And a few years later, I was working in Seattle, Washington, and he called me and he said, Sandy, I'm selling everything that I have, and Sharon and I are gonna go off to a Bible training school, and then we're going to Cambodia to be missionaries. And I was just shocked at that transformation. I said, Dennis, you've come a long way from shaking your fist in my face. And that transformation has been priceless to watch the change in that individual. I know Dennis had to hear me telling stories about mission trips. I use those as talking points to get conversations started with people. And then you end up with the follow-up questions where people will say, why did you take your vacation time and go do that? and it gives you an opportunity to talk about what Christ means to you. I've, I've often thought of myself as being a missionary, but a vocational missionary, kind of like Paul made tents. And so I think about myself at, at the workplace as being God's representative there. When I get discouraged at work, and I think that maybe nobody's watching, nobody's paying attention, maybe my witness is not effective, um, rather than thinking about moving on, I just need to think about living a Christ-like life because somebody's watching me all the time. See, Sandy understands to see with spiritual eyes. He's God's representative. And he understands that the people that he works with, his coworkers, some of them are far from God. And more than anything else, he wants to see them come into relationship with Jesus. So rather than just kind of catching up on what happened on TV the past week, he's looking for opportunities. He's looking for those talking points to share maybe about his clean water trip or what God's doing at church and, and sharing some of those things that he's learning. Or maybe if we start to see with spiritual eyes, those people that we bump into, maybe it's at the grocery store, it's at Starbucks, we, we don't see them as those random interactions, but rather as divine appointments. People that God has intentionally placed in your life that you can influence, <coughs> that you can draw 
closer to the heart of God. Because lost people matter to God. He wants them found, and he wants us to join him into bringing them close. That's something that we get to be a part of. Do you see the opportunities that God has placed in front of you? Do you see the lost people around you? Do you see with spiritual eyes? Because when we begin to see with spiritual eyes, what that then does, it motivates us to get up and go. That's the second aspect. The first aspect is to see with spiritual eyes, to see what God is doing in our midst. The second is that we would get up and go. And one of the things that's so interesting about Pokemon Go is it's not just one of those games that has you sitting down where you're kind of playing, but you're actually getting up and walking around. In fact, you have to, some of these Pokemon are actually attached to geographical areas. Like you get water Pokemon when you're by water. So people are walking around their towns and their cities all around trying to catch these Pokemon. In fact, let me show you this crazy video. This is in Central Park. And so these people are, are, are running through the streets. They're jumping out of cars, trying to find a Pokemon. Now, you'd look at this crowd, you think, what's going on? Is, like, Bruce playing a free concert? Is, is the Pope here? No, it's Pikachu, right? That's, that's exactly what's going on here. And, and it's not just, you know, younger people that are playing this game. Entire families are spending their time of family togetherness playing Pokemon Go. A great example of this is Jen Coglin. She's one of her coordinators uh, here at Liquid Church in Morris County. And one of the things that Jen and her husband and her four kids, they all do as a family, is they will walk four to five miles in a day playing Pokemon Go. They will do whatever it takes to find these elusive and rare Pokemon. They're, they're going all over the place. In fact, they caught a Pikachu, like a real one. I'm like, what? So jealous. But here's what's so amazing. The same traits that make someone a good Pokemon trainer also are the same traits that actually make you a good shepherd. And we see this in this passage where Jesus talks about the shepherd who's lost his sheep. He says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? See, here's what's a beautiful picture of this is that the shepherd has lost this sheep, this precious sheep. It's one sheep and it leaves the 99 to find the one. And, and so he goes high and he goes low. He invests time and he invests energy find the sheep. It takes time to find a lost sheep, and, and you're putting the other 99 in great danger, and you're putting him in a vulnerable place, but he looks high and low as long as it takes to find this lost sheep, and it takes energy. He's risking his safety. The Palestinian countryside is not a safe place. There's cliffs, there's gorges, there's predators, there's bandits, yet he's willing to do whatever it takes to find this lost sheep, because it's valuable. It's the one, not the crowd. So here's a question I have for you. Who's the one person that God has placed in your life that he wants you to in intentionally influence for the sake of the gospel? Who is your one person? See, for me, when, when I answer that question, uh, the name of a kid named Ben, who was this eighth grader I met, once met years ago, comes to mind. Now, I used to be a youth pastor, and so I'd have about 100 kids in my group, and I'd always say, Lord, who's the one? Like, who's the one that you want me to focus on? I got all these kids, and, and it's chaos at youth group, but who's the one that you want me to focus in on? And so I'd, I'd make that that prayer, and the, that would be my focus. And then God brought this kid, Ben, on my path. And so I went and spent time with him, hung out with his, his family, got to know him. I got to know his cat, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I said, hey, Ben, you know, I, I know you kind of come to youth group every now and again. Why don't you come out tonight? He's like, I'll think about it. I got a lot of homework today. And, and he ended up coming to youth group, which was great. And so, you know, we do our youth group thing. We play games. We eat junk food. And then we do a talk. And so I'm kind of sharing this talk. And I felt like God was putting in my heart, Nathan, you've been investing in these kids. Why don't you actually invite them to begin the journey to follow me? And so I was like, 
all right, I'm, you know, usually when God says something, I, sometimes I listen to him. And so I went for it and I said, hey, listen, guys, if you want to begin that journey of following Jesus, why don't you just raise your hand and, and you can start. And, and I was thrilled when I saw Ben raise his hand. And so I spent the next few months kind of investing my time in Ben. And so I would meet with him, I would connect with him, and we'd help him with any questions that he had. And he wasn't a perfect kid. He made a bunch of mistakes, you know, and all these different things. But his heart for God at that moment began. So he played drums in our, in our youth band. Uh, he was on our youth leadership team. He had, a, he had a small group of middle schoolers, his few, that, that, you know, drove him crazy and enriched his life all at the same time. That's what middle schoolers do. And in the midst of all this, you know, he was growing in his faith. And, you know, he graduated high school, went off to Rutgers University. He started a Bible study to reach other engineering students. And eventually, uh, I took Ben when he was in college on a trip to Africa. And, uh, you know, we had a great time, and he was using his engineering uh, skills and abilities there. And when we got back, the next day he calls me up um, and says, hey, can we, can we go get breakfast? And so we're sitting in Greenbrook at Sunset Diner just kind of talking. And he looks at me and goes, I just want to ask you something, like, I'm really trying to figure out if God's trying to call me to go back to Africa. Like, I just saw a lot of engineering problems there that I really feel like I could maybe have a hand in and fix and get involved with things like clean water and things like helping people plant and grow things in the desert. Uh, what do you think? Do you feel like this is something that God's saying to me? I go, absolutely. This is a God thing, man. You've got to go for this. And, you know, I look at what God is doing in Ben's life. I'm so glad that I said yes to God. Let me ask you that question. Who is your one? See, God may not be calling you to be the next Billy Graham and, and preach to thousands or millions, but there's just one person he wants you to invest in, to pray for, to love on, to connect with. That's all it takes. You know, I'm really glad that, you know, I, you know, I don't always listen to God when I'm supposed to, you know, but I'm glad that when I do, because I see what God is doing in Ben's life, and it just fills me with great joy. And when we talk about these, three, these, these aspects of connecting with people that are far from God, you know, we need to see with spiritual eyes. That's why I ask that question, who is your one? Who is God putting on your life supernaturally right now? That person is coming to your mind. Who is your one? See with spiritual eyes. And may that motivate us to get up and go, to actually go and do something when that happens. And this brings us to the final aspect that we're going to look at, and that's this is to join in Jesus's joy, to join in Jesus's joy. So I love what this passage says. It says, rejoice with me. Rejoice, for I have found my lost sheep. And I love what the shepherd does. He takes this lost sheep and he, he puts it on his shoulder. And the rest of the passage says this in verse 7. He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more what? Rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There is nothing that brings Jesus joy when people who are far away from him come home. When people that are lost are found. And Jesus' joy, that's something he wants us to join with us. Because you know what it's like if you've ever lost someone that's close to you, maybe they were missing for a certain amount of time, you know the panic you feel, but you also know the relief that comes when they're back home and they're back in safety. I remember a couple years ago, I was on a camping trip with a, a lot of people, there were about maybe 30 of us, and I was with a small group, we we're kind of chatting, kind of talking about the day, what we were doing, and these, uh, these two teenage girls come up to us. And, you know, I noticed that, you know, usually they're, they're in threes, but now there's only two of them. So I was like, oh, what's going on here? And they're, and they're asking us, have you seen Marissa? And I'm going, no, I haven't. You see, these three girls have, have been, like, you know, attached at each other's hips the whole time. They're, like, flocking together. So I was really surprised when one of them was missing. So I go, no, what happened? And they said, well, we got in this really nasty fight, and we said some things we shouldn't have said. Marissa just kind of ran off. And we thought she, that maybe she went to her tent. We felt bad, and we went, we went to apologize 
but she wasn't in her tent. So we went down to the lake, and maybe we thought maybe she was in a boat or something, but she wasn't down the lake. No one had seen her. And so we're getting kind of worried. We don't know where she is, and we don't know if you guys saw her. And I was looking up, and the sun was starting to come down. It was getting late, and I'm thinking, okay, we better all look for her. So we start fanning out, all 30 of us. We're all going through the woods. We're screaming, Marissa, where are you, Marissa? You know, we're, we're, we're just kind of trying to call out her name, and we're kind of getting deeper and deeper in the woods, and I'm noticing the sun is coming lower and lower and lower, and then my mind starts to race. Like, did she get hurt somewhere? Is she somewhere unconscious? And so I'm at a trail, and I start running up and down the trail. I'm going, Marissa, where are you? Marissa, what, what happened to you? And, and my mind is getting, you know, going to darker and darker places, you know? Like, did she meet a bear? Did a bear get her, you know? Uh, did someone grab her at the camp? Like, what's going on? And so I'm getting more and more panicky. Finally, someone grabs me and goes, we found her. I was like, oh, thank goodness. And so I come back, and, you know, we're, you know everyone's giving her hugs. We're, we're, so, we're so happy we found you. What happened, Marissa? And Marissa tells us. You know, we got into this big fight with my friends, and I just got so upset. I just felt like no one really cared. So I just ran away, thinking no one was going to notice me. I didn't matter. So Marissa went, and she ran away, and she, she found this uh, rock, and she kind of was, was crying there, and she fell asleep. And then she said she woke up, and she heard these people calling her name. Marissa, where are you? Marissa. And she looked up, and she just sees these people that are frantically looking for her. And Marissa said that she said, I didn't think I really mattered. And when I heard people calling my name, I realized I did matter. And see, Marissa learned a truth, which is that, well, that God wants us to know this, and that's that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. You know, if you have kids and, and you lose one of your kids, you're not thinking, well, I have this one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one out of two ain't bad, or one out of three. You know, maybe we can make more. You know, we, we don't think like that, right? We think, no, there is one that is lost. There is one that is lost, and I am concerned about them, and I will do whatever it takes to find them and bring them home. That's how we think, and that's how God thinks. God knows that there's some of us, friends of ours, family members that are far from God, that are lost, and he wants them found. And it's a passion that he wants us to have as well, to incorporate that into our lives, to carve out time and energy to pursue people that are far away from God. And if I'm really honest, I don't always have that passion. I don't always have that heartbeat. There's times I just get involved in my own life and I just get distracted. But every now and again, God brings something my way. Sometimes it's a sermon. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's a book. In this case, it was a book. A few uh, months ago, I read a book written by a pastor named Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room. And this was a great book because it really kind of re-inspired me to be part of God's mission to bring people that are far away from him home into a relationship and into a connection with God. And so I'm reading this book, and he talks about all these ways that we can build organic relationships with people so that we can share the love of God. But then there was a statistic in there that kind of blew me away. It said that 80% of the people that come to church came because someone asked them. They, they were just asked. 80%, 8 out of 10 people that are here today are here because someone simply asked them to come by a simple invitation. And, and I think sometimes, you know, in my own mind, I think it's so much harder than it actually is when really we need to take a risk. And in the people that we've invested our lives in, we need to take a risk and invite them. And so here at Liquid, what we want to try to do is create opportunities for you to connect with people that are far away from God and make that invitation clear and invite them to come to church. And so as we're kind of moving into the fall, we see a prime opportunity for us to invite people 
who are far from God to come and connect with him in, in, in a real way. And we have this strategy here at Liquid Church. We call it invest and invite. And really, invest and invite works like this. is All year round, we ask you to invest in your friends, to connect with them, to love on them, to, to build relationships with them. Not because they're a project, but because they're people. And we, we're called to care for people. And really, at the end of the day, we're asking you to not be so weird, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I'm weird. You know, it's, it's okay. Just, just, just dial it back a little bit. That's all we're asking. And then when those opportunities come, to invite them. Whether it's a series at church or a couple of sermons, we want you to have an opportunity to invite them so they can come to a place where they can hear the gospel and actually act on that. And so this fall, as everyone's kind of getting back into their routines and their rhythms, this could be a great opportunity for you to invite people to make that connection to Jesus for either the first time or to reconnect that. Next week, Pastor Tim's going to be back, and he's going to be kicking off a brand new series called Can't Lose. And here we're going to be kind of talking about how do we as a church kind of move forward? What's the fall look like? What's the next step of where God is leading us? And rather than tell you about it, let me just show you the trailer of what's coming up. Let's watch this together. It's easy when the lights are on. Turn them off. What do you got? If it's not hard, there's the door. Work hard. Get better. It's simple. Practice doesn't make perfect. No. Perfect practice makes perfect. It's there for the taking. We may not have it all together, but I believe together we can have it all. Can't lose on three. One, two, three. Can't lose. So we go from talking about Pokeballs to footballs, everybody. Let me see how my arm is. Up, oh, up. Oh. It's okay. I, I can't catch her. Let's throw that back. See if I can get it. Uh, uh, uh. I caught it. Yes. I should have been playing for the Cowboys. Easy there, everybody. But you know, when the fall hits, we think of three things: getting back to school, getting back to church, and of course, football. And uh, here at Liquid Church, we're going to spend the next three weeks with this series, Can't Lose, and really talking about faith, teamwork, and commitment. And you see, when a church is united in Christ and shares a common vision and fierce values, we can't lose. And this is a perfect opportunity for you to invite people who are far away from God. An opportunity for you to kind of invite them to see what the Christian story is about and to, to become a part of it. So I want to go back to this question. Who is your one? Who is your one? Who is that person that God is placing on your heart right now? Someone who's, who's far from God, but God wants to bring close. And maybe this is the opportunity for you to invite that person in the next couple weeks. Who is your one? Because this is Jesus' joy. This is his passion. This is why he came to our world, to bring his kingdom. And in fact, when we look at the last words of Jesus, they were all along these lines. Because oftentimes when we look at someone's last words, this is what they're, what is all about. And Jesus leaves these final instructions to his people that he's called us to embrace. It says this in Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go into all the world and what? Make disciples. Jesus didn't say, I want you to stay in the world and accumulate as much wealth and property as you can. I don't want you to get as much knowledgeable about things as you can. I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. This is his heartbeat. This is why he came. He has called us as the church to go and to make disciples, to call people back into relationship with the God of the universe. Amen? Amen. 
So the next time you're playing Pokemon Go and you're filling out your Pokeball, let it remind you that God's heart is that you may go into all the world and make disciples. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray? Spirit of God, we just invite you to come right now. Lord, right now you are supernaturally putting on people's minds and hearts a name. It's someone who is far from you, someone that you desire to bring close to yourself. And so God, I pray right now that that would just burn into us, that we would feel your, your, your love for them, that it would just consume us, God, and that as it consume us, God, may it move us to action and may it move us into your joy. Because Father, when, when you, your children are united to you, there is great joy in that reunion. And so, Father, as we go from this place, may we be a blessing to those that are far away from you, and may we bring them close. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.